Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul White. It's the 16th day of September. It's a Friday, and we're going to conclude uh, your regular work week uh, with another look into the book of Jeremiah. Well, we're going to look into the book of Jeremiah, but we're really just talking about some of these highlights in Jeremiah. I've been uh, recently turned towards this character in the Bible, and as I told you a couple days ago, part of it is that the fact that they thought Jesus was a new Jeremiah, and I, I, I got intrigued with that kind of those kind of analogies when I wrote my book, Greater Than Jonah, which by the way, we're getting close. Um, the artwork's going on, the edit is nearly complete. I try to give you these little tidbits here and there, give you updates, but we're getting close and you'll know more soon. But um, part of the reason that Greater Than Jonah happened is I, you have Jesus in the gospel saying, a greater than Jonah is here. And that's obvious. You go, well, of course, Jesus is greater than Jonah, but why did he pick Jonah? Why didn't he pick David or Moses or whatever? Um, and so, of course, we, we discussed that in that book, and I'm going to encourage you when it's out to get it. But Jeremiah is another one, because whenever Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Oh, well, some think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some think you're Elijah. Some think you're Jeremiah. And I admittedly haven't given Jeremiah as much attention in my own walk. So been kind of digging into this book a little bit, taking a look at this character. And as we've done the last couple of days, give you some moments from his life. Today, I want to take you to the 18th chapter and one of the most popular moments in the book of Jeremiah. And whenever we walked through our Old Testament highlights a couple of years ago, we hit this story. It's from the first four verses of Jeremiah 18. I'll read it to you. We commonly call this the potter and the clay. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Rise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. That's the potter's wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Actually, there's a verb tense there in the Hebrew. The vessel that he was making was ruined in the hand of the potter. So he's watching it happen. This is not a past tense event. He's watching it happen as if it's a, as if while he views the potter with the pottery, the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. So it's not some, it's not a vision of a potter. It's go down to the, to the working class, to the quarter of town where they're making pottery and watch. And as you watch, I'll teach you an object lesson. So the vessel is marred at the hand of the potter, but he, this middle of verse four, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. And of course, we know um, all of the spiritual things to say about this. Um, they're, I don't mean when I, they're simple, but when I say they're simple, I don't mean they're not simultaneously profound or relevant, but they're simple illustrations you've ever watched a potter with clay fashioning that clay you know that it looks easy because the potter's good at what they do but if you and I if we have no experience at it were to sit down at that potter's wheel we probably would make the wheel go too fast and throw the clay off we prob- or we could make the wheel go too slow and nothing would happen we might add too much water and the clay um, is too loose or we might not add enough and it can't do anything and even if we finally started to get all of those things right, the spin, the constitution, the mixture, then we got to know what we're doing with our hands. And that comes down to feel and it comes down to knowing how 
to move just right and at what speed. And so it wouldn't take long for us to realize that there's a certain level of mastery that can only come with time and experience. So the simple spiritual lesson, of course, is God knows what he's doing. He knows how fast to spin the clay, knows how what mixture to put into your life of, of um, how much you can handle versus um, how much you need his help. And we could do all kinds of illustrations with it, like the master plan for your life and the the, the hands and all of that. And all of that's well and good, and I've done that before. But let me try to bring out a few things in the next few days over the over this story that I've not um, really explored before. And one of them is the fact that all throughout archaeological history, um, all throughout history, rather, archaeologists have been finding pottery. All cultures um, have, have had various ways of pottery of making pots and and pans and carrying vessels and water pots but the incredible thing well first of all that changed the world once pottery became a thing once man was able to store things it changed the way the world worked because once man could store things he could settle into a place um, or he could he could transport rather whatever he had um, he didn't have to just live in one spot for fear that he would never find fresh water again or never have food again. He could carry it with him. So pottery was right up there with the wheel and what it did to change the world. But the amazing thing is that archaeology shows us that when we find pottery across time and across cultures, in every culture and in every country, cultures were never content to merely make pottery they have significantly, consistently tried to make pottery beautiful, which is a fascinating thing because who cares if it's beautiful? If your pot holds water, that's the purpose of the pot, not to be a beautiful pot that holds water. And yet, across cultures and across time, artisans have worked hard to make sure that the pottery was as beautiful as it was useful. And this, this could be significant in a spiritual sense to say that sort of necessity and beauty have always been integrated so much so that it's hard to imagine throughout archaeology that the two things were different. Um, this shows us that people see the beauty and useful in the same light. And if we could take a spiritual lesson from that, knowing what we know about cultures and the way they make pottery, how interesting is it that the pottery, the potter in Jeremiah 18, makes it beautiful as it seemed good to him to make. So it's not enough for God to merely make you useful. God makes you beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are both the beautiful and the useful. God is not taking away your beauty, or let me say it this way. God is not trying to remove your individuality in order to make you useful to the kingdom. Rather, God sees your individuality as useful to the kingdom. I'm learning this. I hope you're learning this as you trod through, go through life, realize that whatever you are, whatever you have, can be used to the glory of God. He's not looking to strip away the thing that makes you, you. He's looking 
to redeem the thing that makes you you into the usefulness of the kingdom. I think that's an amazing thing. Let's deal some more with this, and we'll do a little bit with the way these word the, the, the words are used in the Hebrew. There's some fun stuff there. We'll do it again tomorrow. I got an announcement to make tomorrow regarding a date change for our Tulsa trip in October. I'll tell you about it tomorrow. See you then. God bless.